Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, February the 12th, 2022. It is currently 11.01 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Now, let me ask you a question. If I was to tell you right now that many years ago, seven, eight years ago, I did something that was clearly sinful. Clearly, it was wrong. It was really wrong. It was messed up. I heard a lot of people. I committed a big sin. But my conscience told me that it was okay. That my conscience said that what I was about to do was okay. And then even even after doing it, my conscience, let's say, didn't even really make me feel bad about it. So my conscience really excused the behavior and even said that the behavior was okay. What would you tell me? If, if, if you said, but no, 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 the Bible says that what you did was sinful. Yeah, but my conscience said that it was okay. What would you tell me to listen to? Would you tell me to listen to the Bible or would you tell me to listen to my conscience? Wh- which, which, would it, which would you tell me to listen to? Now, most, I, I, I would assume 99.9% of everyone listen, who will hear this would tell me, I think 99% of, well, I should say 99.9% of all Christians would tell me, no, you, the Bible says it's wrong. Who cares what your conscience says? Your conscience is wrong. Your conscience is, is, is mistaken. Don't listen to your conscience. But those very same Christians who would tell me, no, 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 it doesn't matter that your conscience said that what you did was okay. It was a sin. The Bible condemns it. Those same Christians would turn around and then in other situations say, you have to listen to your conscience. You can't go against your conscience. So can you or can't you? Should you or shouldn't you? How how accurate is your conscience? How binding is your conscience? It's really, I, sometimes when Christians talk about conscience, it's it's maddening to me because it's very almost schizophrenic. Like one to listen to your conscience. Don't go against your conscience. And in another situation, it's like, well, I don't care what your conscience says. It's sin. So when does the conscience come into play? When does it not come into play? Now, these are issues and questions that we have been trying to figure out over the past ever how long we've been working on this. This is part four. So in the three previous parts, we've been talking about conscience. And the reason we've been talking about conscience is because we have been studying the book, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, written over 500 years ago. We've made it to book two, chapter six. And in the edition that I'm holding in my hand right here, or the part of the book that I'm holding in my hand because the other part has completely fallen apart. <laughs> it's all, it's, it's completely separated now. Uh, I know every time I turn on the microphone to talk about the imitation of Christ, I have to tell you, how, you know, the, uh, in today's update, the book is now fallen even more. More parts of the book have fallen off because it, it's, every time I pick up the book, other parts of it falls off, I, it falls apart. I know it's, I've been, I'm, I'm trying to hold on and make it through this study using this exact book. We'll see if we can make it to the end, but I am trying. All right, here we go. So we made it to book two, chapter six. And in my edition, this chapter is entitled The Joy 
of a good conscience. Now, as soon as I read that, I'm like, well, wait a minute. So, all right. So this, this is implying, obviously, that you can have a good conscience or you could have a bad conscience. So which, con- which conscience do you have, a good one or a bad one? And if a good one is the one you're supposed to listen to and a bad one you're supposed to avoid, well, then that means you can't always listen to your conscience because first you'd have to hear what your conscience is saying and then determine if your conscience is good or if your conscience is bad. And then you either listen to it or, it, no, yeah, you see how confusing This is getting by the second. This is how this chapter begins. The glory of a good man is the testimony of a good conscience. And we believe that's a reference to 2 Corinthians 1, 12. Listen to this. This is the paragraph. Have a good conscience and you shall ever have joy. You shall ever have joy if you have a good conscience. A good conscience is able to bear much and is very joyful in adversities. An evil conscience is always fearful and restless. Now, immediately, this it clearly establishes you can have a good one, you can have an evil one. All right, now, if you can have a good one, and if you can have an evil one, <laughs> so then when should you listen to your conscience? Remember, conscience is defined as an inner feeling or voice viewed as a, as acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. Conscience is a guide, and it tells you if your behavior is right or it tells you your behavior is wrong. It either condemns your behavior or excuses your behavior. So should you listen to your conscience? Don't ever go against your conscience. Don't ever go against your conscience. You hear Christians all the time, I can't do this. It would go against my conscience. And like the conscience becomes now, are you ready for this? The Pope. Now I say that because we have been, what we did is because we're studying the imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. So Thomas Akempis was a Catholic monk. Obviously his understanding of conscience would be in line with the Catholic teaching. So I picked up the Catholic catechism and we started looking at the actual Catholic teaching on the subject of conscience because we're trying to formulate an actual theology of conscience that I think is biblical. I don't care if it... I don't care if it agrees with Catholicism or disagrees with Catholicism. What I care about, is it biblical? And what we found in the Catholic Catechism was to me an absolutely crazy, crazy statement. They say that conscience, this is what is said in the Catholic Catechism on page 439. This is, and I'm quoting directly from the Catholic Catechism. I'm literally holding it in my hand. Conscience is the aboriginal vicar of Christ. The original vicar of Christ, the original Pope is conscience. Now, the idea that conscience is somehow the vicar of Christ or that it's the Pope is frightening to me because you're almost saying that you have now an infallible magisterium inside of you that will guide you to either doing the right thing and keep you from doing the wrong thing. And this to me is where I think the whole concept of conscience falls apart. Now, let me let me try to establish a couple of things here, just in review. Now, I know I, I already listened to the last part on my way here, so I know I'm repeating a lot of things, but I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. Because if we finish this discussion about conscience and we move on in the invitation of Christ, and I have not clearly got some of these points across, then I have failed you because I think many Christians hold to a very flawed understanding of conscience and it leads to them using conscience 
as a, as the the rule about I'm not going to do that because it goes against my conscience, as if the conscience is always infallible, which to me is completely denies the doctrine of the doctrine of depravity. I, I think it, it denies the, the reality of the sinful flesh. So let me try to explain. All right. So conscience is an inner feeling. All right. Now I believe the reason conscience that conscience exists because of that basically it's made up of two things. Number one, I am created in the image of God. All people are created in the image of God. God is a moral being. So because we are created in the image of God, there is a sense of morality built into us. Whether a person's a Christian, not a Christian, whether the person is a child, there's just this inner sense that that's right, that's wrong, that's not good, that's bad. And therefore, we, people speak with moral judgments all the time. People constantly are condemning behavior, excusing behavior, judgment, judgment, judgment. I mean, we, we are walking around, we are... We are constantly judging everything because there's this sense of morality inside of us. Now, remember, even though we're creating the image of God, everything is all messed up because of the fall, because of depravity. So our sense of morality, the sense of morality is there, but it, it, it's not a correct indicator of what is right and wrong because of the presence of sin and because of the fall. But that's where conscience really is established because I'm creating the image of God. There's a second part. God has written his law on our hearts. So therefore, there is an inner sense of right and wrong. There's an inner sense of God's law. Now, again, because of our depravity, we misunderstand it. We misapply it. We judge. We excuse. We do all kinds of crazy things. So to me, what conscience should do, to me, this is what conscience should do. Conscience should should do this. It should make you go, wait a minute. Why is there this inner sense of right and wrong? Where is this coming from? I, I judge this. I condemn this. I'm, I mean, even atheists will, will, will constantly judge people's behaviors, condemn this. In fact, many atheists will use arguments against the, the existence of God by referencing morality. Oh, well, the Christian God is an evil God. It's not a moral God. Well, you're using a, some standard of morality to judge God. Where is that sense of morality coming from? So, Everyone has an inner sense of morality. So I think what conscience should do is make you stop and go, wait a minute. If there's an inner sense of morality, there has to be a moral, an ultimate standard of morality. If there's this inner sense of a law of right and wrong, there has to be a lawgiver. And that should lead us to search for the ultimate source of this morality, the ultimate source of this law, which will lead us to God. Once we believe in God, then we, re- we understand that he has revealed his morality and his morality in the pages of Scripture. That is what I think is the benefit of conscience. It should drive us to God. It should drive us to search for that standard of morality. But many Christians take the idea that, no, that morality now becomes how I determine what is right and what is wrong. So, Hey, the government's telling me to do this. Well, it goes against my conscience. I can't do it. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to rely on that inner feeling? Now, just if you take that to its logical conclusion. So if you tell your teenager to do something and they're like, well, sorry, mom, dad, that goes against my conscience and I can't go against my conscience. Can't, I can't follow that. Like that, that would just lead to moral anarchy because obviously anything that arises from within us is going to be corrupted and tainted by the depravity that resides within us. So I constantly challenge this concept that conscience is almost this, well, aboriginal vicar of Christ, this guide that determines. Because going back to my opening illustration, 
What if I go back years ago and go, see, remember that sin that I committed? Well, what if my conscience didn't condemn me? Are you going to say I was right? No, you're still going to condemn me. Why? Because you're going to say, well, your conscience doesn't matter if it goes against God's word. Well, then if, if conscience is to be judged by God's word, well, then why even listen to my conscience? Look to the scriptures. Wouldn't that make more sense? Because the scriptures are an infallible guide. Everything that arises from within me is a tainted and corrupted guide. All right, that's 12 minutes of review. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the Catholic Catechism, and we're going to jump in and see how far we can make it. Now, we're in a section, which to me is just absolutely... (laughs) I have to laugh, because previously, we're in section two, uh, page 440, paragraph 1783, and this section is called the formation of conscience. And I have to laugh. Anytime I open up the Catholic Catechism... And I had to study the Catholic catechism in Catholic university when I was working on a degree in Catholic theology. And, I, and I've, ta- you know, I've tried to teach from the Catholic catechism. So I'm very familiar with it. But anytime I open this section, I just have to laugh because the previous section basically told me, hey, your conscience, hey, that's the aboriginal vicar of Christ. Follow it, trust it, obey it, listen to it. And then all of a sudden you get to this paragraph and like, slow down, slow down. There has to be a proper formation of conscience. So that means even if you have a conscience, you can't trust the conscience until you properly form the conscience. Well, let's see what they talk about the formation of conscience. Here we go. Conscience must be informed and moral judgment enlightened. So if you, so everyone has a conscience. However, you can't trust the conscience until it's informed and moral judgment enlightened. Okay, well, what's going to inform the conscience? What's going to bring about enlightenment to moral judgment? What's going to be the source that's going to supposedly fix my conscience so that I can supposedly trust my conscience? Yeah, yeah, I think you'll see where this is going. Here we go. A well-informed conscience is upright and truthful. So the only kind of conscience you can trust is a well-informed conscience or a well-formed conscience, I should say. A well-formed conscience. It formulates its judgments according to reason in conformity with true good willed by the wisdom of the creator. The education of conscience is indispensable for human beings who are subjected to negative influences and tempted by sin to prefer their own judgment and to reject authoritative teachings. (laughs) So what they're, now the Catholic, uh, the Catholic is going to, perspective is going to be unique. So what you, basically what you need to have a well-informed conscience in Catholicism is you need the church. Because see, without the church, you won't have a well-informed conscience, and then your conscience may lead you to reject the teaching of the church. So in a roundabout way, is it my conscience or is it the teaching of the church? If the teaching of the church is the infallible guide, then why, like, it, it just seems like, no, here it's... It seems weird. It's like, okay, this is true within Catholicism and it is true even within Christianity. Catholicism says, look to the teaching of the church. That will inform your conscience. Okay, well, if I've already got, in a sense, the infallible guide, which is, say, the teaching of the church, which would include the word of God, then why do I need to worry about trying to fix my conscience? I have to constantly look to the thing outside of myself. Christians, same thing. If the Bible is the sole authority, the infallible word of God, the standard, 
then why am I looking to my conscience? Why not would I not look to that which is infallible? Because again, everything in me, no matter how well-informed it is, no matter how much I try to build up my conscience, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be infallible because it, it's within me. It's just so weird. All right, I'm going to go through these quickly. Next, the education of the conscience is a lifelong task. From the earliest years, it awakens the child to the knowledge and practice of the interior law recognized by conscience. Now, please, please note, they almost say that there's an, this even gets more complicated. They're like, there's conscience inside of you, but there's also an interior law. And conscience recognizes the interior law. I think conscience is made up of the interior law. I don't see the interior law as separate from the conscience. I think the conscience is made up of the fact that we are creating the image of God and God has written the law on our hearts. They almost want to make it as a separate thing. And I well, that just to me leads even to more confusion, but okay. Prudent education teaches virtue. It prevents or cures fear, selfishness, and pride, resentment arising from guilt and feelings of complacency born of human weakness and faults. The education of the conscience guarantees freedom and engenders the peace of heart. Now, this goes with the idea, and I think this is very prevalent within our culture, and to be honest, I think it's very prevalent even within the minds of many Christians, which to me is just insane. The the, the concept goes something like this. You take an individual there. Here's here's a child. Now, if you teach them correctly, you give them a well-informed conscience, you teach them virtue, they will grow up and they will be virtuous. They will be godly. They will be holy. They will be right. They will do the right thing. And I will argue that no Teaching virtue doesn't guarantee anything because they are depraved sinners. Cain was taught the exact same things Abel was taught. Cain killed his brother. Okay. 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 Joseph was taught the same things his brothers were taught and his brothers wanted to kill him. Okay. I mean, we can go on and 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 on. Israel was taught virtue. They had, they had God leading them. They were giving God's law. They had Moses and they turned to idolatry and rebellion over and over and over and over. You can teach all the virtue in the world. You can teach all the rules in the world that will not change the depravity that resides within one. Now, I'm not saying you don't teach virtue. I'm not saying you don't teach right and wrong. You teach right and wrong. You teach, and and this is what hopefully, this is the way I see it. You teach right and wrong. You teach the law of God in order, hopefully, that it will lead to conviction when they violate it, which will then drive them to the only solution, which is Jesus Christ. But you can teach all the virtue in the world. And it doesn't, I mean, you're you're telling me virtues and laws and right and wrong hasn't been taught throughout the entirety of human history? But yet human history is filled with murder, rape, lying, deceit, sin, 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 selfishness, 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 because we are depraved sinners. Like, it's almost like depravity stops existing in the minds of so many people. Well, if we taught virtue in our, in this country, things would be better. We need to go back to the days when we taught virtue. Yeah, go back to the days when you taught virtue. Oh, you also denied, I don't know, people of a different race, 
civil rights. I don't know. We, we, we enslaved human beings and purchased them as property. I don't know. We, we took people who were, was originally here and put them in, you know, on reservations and took their land from them. I mean, we can, I can go through all the horrible things that occurred when we were supposedly teaching virtue. Okay. Because no matter how much virtue you teach the human heart, the human heart is depraved. It is wicked. It's deceitful above all things. I'm not saying don't do it, but it's just this idea that you can resolve all the problems if you just give people a good education that is virtue-based, morality-based, then everything will be fixed. Yeah, okay. The, the, the Catholic Church that teaches morality and virtue, right? And, and Catholic schools where they taught that morality and virtue while children were being sexually abused. And the hundreds and hundreds, thousands of children. I mean, that scandal is absolutely horrific. All the virtue, it didn't change anything. I'm not saying we don't teach it. I think we got to see the, the limits to what it can and cannot do. All of the teaching in the world cannot change the depravity of the human heart. Paragraph 1785, in the formation of conscience, the word of God is the light for our path. There we go. So they're going to point you to the word of God. We must assimilate it in faith and prayer and put it into practice. We must also examine our conscience before the Lord's cross. We have, uh, we have assist, we are assisted by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, aided by the witness of the advice of others and guided by the authoritative teaching of the church. Well, see, once again, it's, it's, you're looking to these, you're looking to the church and you're looking to the word of God. Yeah, because you can't trust what's inside of you. And so even all of those things may, quote unquote, give formation to the conscience, but I'm still trying to listen to something inside of me, which cannot be trusted. Can't listen to my heart. I can't follow my conscience. I got to look to God's word. I got to look to something outside of me because inside of me is sin. So whatever I feel, whatever voice I hear cannot be trusted. I, I know I keep saying that, but I'm trying to get the point across. All right, so let's go here. Next section, to choose an accord with conscience. Faced with a moral choice, conscience can make either a right judgment in accordance with reason and the divine law, or on the contrary, an erroneous judgment that departs from them. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Okay, so now you see conscience. Okay, this thing that's the aboriginal vicar of Christ. This thing that you've got to listen to. And Christians are like, don't go against your conscience. We are just told that conscience can. Look, there's two things conscience can do. It can make either a right judgment in accordance with reason and the divine law. Or it can make an erroneous judgment that departs from the divine law. <laughs> well, as long as conscience can always, if, as long as conscience can choose the wrong way, then I can't trust that whatever choice my conscience makes is the right way. So whatever my conscience is telling me has to then be tested according to God's word and then whatever God's word says. But here's the danger. If I'm trying to go with my feeling and go, well, I, I feel that this is okay. And, and you start with your feeling, guess what you'll do? You'll then go to God's word and interpret it in light of that feeling. 
You don't start with your conscience or what's inside of you. You start with God's word. And then God's word judges what you're feeling is either right or wrong. But if you start with your feeling, you'll run to the scriptures to find a way to justify the feeling. I've seen people do this. I've seen people do this all the time. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just go with the subject of divorce. I know it's it's an uncomfortable subject and it makes people very upset, but it has to be discussed. I've seen people who are like, they feel that, that their conscience is telling them that it's okay to get a divorce. Their husband or their wife has done this or this or this. They feel this. And so they that's what they feel because that's what they want. They're done with their marriage. They no longer love the person, whatever the case may be. They're fin- and then guess what? It's amazing. They can always go to scripture and find some way to justify them getting a divorce. And not only getting a divorce, getting remarried. Because they're starting with the feeling. The feeling's already made the, de- the determination. Now they're just looking to scripture to justify and to their feeling. You, you, whatever you're feeling has to be like, I, okay, feelings go away. I Me, mean, we have to spend time with God's word apart from our feelings and see what it says. And many times what it says will not go with what you feel, will not go with what your conscience is telling you. Because your conscience could be giving you a wrong understanding. Your conscience could actually be leading you, causing you to depart from the divine law. That's even the Catholic teaching even acknowledges that. Next paragraph, 1787. Man is sometimes confronted by situations that make moral judgments less assured and decision difficult. But he must always seriously seek what is right and good and discern the will of God expressed in the divine law. Now, once again... This is so ridiculous. So sometimes you're going to be with these very difficult moral decisions and you're not going to know what to do. Wait a minute. I thought, I thought the conscience was the aboriginal vicar of Christ. But in these situations, what you're going to have to do, is you're going to look to the divine law. Why wouldn't I always look to God's law? Why wouldn't I always look to scripture? Now, sometimes scripture, I do agree. Yesterday, we were having a discussion in the Theology Central Discord channel. Very good discussion about some things related to the podcast episode that I did in regards to Jesus supposedly healing a man's boyfriend, all right? And we got into a discussion about, so as a Christian, can we support this or can we do this? Can we do that? And everyone had different opinions. There was very different opinions and different perspectives. And I, I, I had a certain perspective and I tried to acknowledge what I think influences my perspective. A lot of it's because of working in the medical world. I tried to acknowledge what is influencing my perspective. But I think we could all agree that in some cases, scriptures don't give us the precise, exact answer in what we are to do. Sometimes scripture gives us the general principle, and then we're like, okay, what, what do we do in this situation? And there's going to be lots of different feelings, but here's what happens. Christians will come along and say, what, my conscience, and then as soon as their conscience says what is right and what's wrong, then that basically becomes like, well, then it has to be right or wrong, but what if your conscience is wrong? What if your conscience is wrong? Because clearly the possibility that your conscience could be wrong is not only a probability. To me, it's, it's, it's likely because of the sin that lies within you, the flesh that lies within you. So even here, the, the Catholic catechism is like, you know, you, you have to look to the divine law. Why not just start with the divine law? Stop trying to figure out the inner feeling and look to the external scripture. 
or stop looking for an inner feeling and look to the external standard. Paragraph 1788. To this purpose, man strives to interpret the data of experience and the signs of the times assisted by the virtue of prudence, by the advice of competent people, and by the help of the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Look at how utterly confusing all of that is. So, so to this purpose, when we're trying to figure out what to do, we strive to interpret the data of experience, the signs of the times, assisted by the virtue of prudence, by the advice of competent people, and by the help of the Holy Spirit and gifts. In other words, you're trying to figure it all out, and it just seems like, like look, all I know to do, the only thing to me that makes any sense is like, okay, what does God's word have to say in regards to this subject? And don't go beyond what it says, but don't fall short of what it says. In other words, sometimes we we see this in in Jewish history, right? They had the commandments of God, but okay, well, all right, you have a commandment about the Sabbath, but okay, so I can't do what on the Sabbath? So then the Jews came along to basically create hundreds and hundreds of extra laws to try to help people know exactly what to do. You can't start adding things to God's word, but you can't subtract things from God's word. All you have is here's God's word and we've got to do the best we can to live in accordance with that. And we may, not everything may be clear, but it's far better than trying to listen to some inner voice, trying to figure out a feeling and an emotion. Cause I guarantee you there's times your feelings and well, I, most of the time your feelings and emotions are not a trustworthy guide. Paragraph 1789, some rules apply in every case. Now, here's, here's what supposedly applies in every case. So, so in other words, they've given you this very subjective way of trying to figure out what's right and wrong, already telling you you can't always trust your conscience and telling you you have to look to the divine law, but also you got to try to figure out the data of experience, science of the times. They tried, they've given this thing that's very subjective. So now they're going to come along and say, here's some rules that will apply in every case. So here's the rules that apply in every case. Number one, one may never do evil so that good may result from it. All right, so you can never do evil so that good may result from it. You can't do evil so that good may result. You may say, well, this action may be wrong, but good will come from it. So in a sense, the, the, the end justifies the means. You can't, you can't live your life that way. The end doesn't justify the means. It doesn't work that way, right? Even though you're trying to do good in the end, what you're doing matters and you can't do evil to get good from it. All right, that, that's... I think that's a, that's a, I'm glad they're giving us that rule. (laughs) I'm glad they're giving us that rule, but then why am I listening to conscience? See, it's like, listen to your conscience, but here's the rules you need to apply. (laughs) It's like, it's like you can trust your conscience, but you really can't trust your conscience. All right. So you can never do evil that good may result from it. Number two, the golden rule, whatever you wish that men would do to you, do to them. Well, that's Matthew chapter seven, verse 12. All right, I think it's Matthew 7, 12. Let me look at that. I mean, let me, let me, let, I don't want to give you a wrong scriptural reference. I believe it's Matthew 7, 12. Let me make sure. Because as soon as I say something, then I'll, be, uh, I'll end up being proven wrong and I don't like that. Uh, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would have that men should do to you, do even to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Right. So the golden rule, right? Whatever you wish that men would do to you, you do to them. Forget your conscience. Forget your conscience. Whatever you would wish men to do for you, you do to them. Okay? Never do evil so that good may result from it. And then number three, charity always proceeds by way of respect for one's neighbor and his conscience. 
Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, it is not right not to do, do anything that makes your brother stumble. So in other words, another thing that should guide you is love and never causing anyone to stumble. So never do evil so that good can come from it. Never forget the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then make sure love motivates what you do so that you never cause anyone to stumble or hurt anyone. Now, if, if those are the guidelines that never changes and must apply in every single case, I don't understand why I'm trying to figure out what my conscience is saying. Here's the guidelines that they're giving me. Now, they go on to the next section. All right, we're at 32 minutes. Let, let's see how far we can get. This section is called erroneous judgment. A human being must always obey the certain judgment of his conscience. Now listen to this. A human being must always obey the certain judgment of his conscience. Wait a minute. Why would I always obey it when you've already demonstrated that it could be wrong and that there are situations where I have to look to something other than my conscience? But now you're telling me I must always obey it. This is so just discombobulated and inconsistent that it, it really drives me crazy. If he were deliberate, if, if he were deliberately to act against it, he would condemn himself. So in other words, you are never to go against your conscience, never. Because if you do so, you condemn yourself. Now, wait a minute. I, I'll start with my opening illustration. If we go back to years and years and years ago, and my conscience tells me that it's okay to do something and I do it, but the Bible says it's wrong. Should I have gone against my conscience? You say, well, your conscience will never do that. No, wait a minute. We've already determined that your conscience can't always be trusted. <laughs> I, I, this, this is such, this seems like a meaningless discussion. I, it, it makes no sense to me. On one hand, it's like conscience. Conscience is the guide. Conscience is the vicar of Christ. Well, okay. It could be an evil conscience and it could be bad and you can't always trust it. But, but if you go against it, you condemn yourself. What in the world? Like, how am I supposed to figure this out? Yet, now, <laughs> this is insane. Okay, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this whole paragraph. I'm, I'm not even going to try to stop. Just try to follow the logic here. Are you ready? Okay, thinking caps on. A human being must always obey the certain judgment of his conscience. If he were deliberately to act against it, he would condemn himself. Yet it can happen that moral conscience remains in ignorance and makes erroneous judgments about acts to be performed or already committed. Wait, did you, did you catch that? Let, let me read it again slowly. A human being must always obey the certain judgment of his conscience, period. If he were deliberately to act against it, he would condemn himself. Period. Yet, or I think another way of saying, but it can happen that moral conscience remains in ignorance and makes erroneous judgments about acts to be performed or already committed. You have to follow it, but it could be wrong. <laughs> what? If you go against it, you condemn yourself, but it could be wrong. So if I go with my conscience, I'm not condemned. Even if my conscience is wrong, because to go against my conscience condemns me. 
I, 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 I'm not following the logic here. Next, the ignorance can often be imputed to personal responsibility. That is the case when men take little trouble to find out what is true and good or when conscience is by degrees almost blinded through the habits of committing sin. In such cases, the person is culpable for his evil, for the evil he commits. So in other words, if you, so if you're supposed to follow your conscience, but if you didn't do enough to form your conscience and to build your conscience and you haven't, if you, if you've done anything to hurt your conscience and you commit sin, then you're culpable for your sin. So I, am I culpable if I didn't do anything to hurt my conscience? If I didn't do anything to hurt my conscience, can I still be held culpable? This, this may, this is as subjective as subjective can be. It, it, yeah, this drives me crazy. Next paragraph, ignorance of Christ and his gospel a bad example given by others, enslavement to one's passions, assertion of a mistaken notion of autonomy of conscience, rejection of the church's authority and her teaching, lack of conversion and charity. These can be the source of error of judgment in moral conduct. So there's a lot of things that could possibly hurt your ability to make moral judgment according to your conscience. It could be ignorance of Christ and his gospel, bad example given by others, enslavement to one's passions, assertion of a mistaken notion of autonomy of conscience, rejection of Christ's authority and her t- and uh, of the church's authority and her teaching, a lack of conversion and of charity. All of those things can be sources of errors in your judgment. So in other words, not only that that comes from within you, but there's all these external things as well that could possibly negatively influence your conscience. But, but hey, you got to listen to it. You got to obey it. If you go against it, you're condemned. But, but it, it could just completely lead you astray. How does any reasonable person read these things? Or how does any reasonable person listen to how Christians talk about conscience and walk away going, those people make sense. Those people are logical. It's all over the place. Next paragraph, 1793. If, on the contrary, the ignorance is invincible or the moral subject is not responsible for his erroneous judgment, the evil committed by a person cannot be imputed to him. It remains no less an evil, a privation, a disorder. One must therefore work to correct the errors of moral conscience. So if, if the ignorance is invisible, invincible, if, if, your, if your conscience is ignorant and, it, and that ignorance is somehow invincible for some reason, right? Um, or the moral subject is not responsible for his erroneous judgment, then, then he can't be held responsible. So all I got to do is try to prove that the, the, um, the ignorance was invincible or that the moral sub- subject is not responsible for the erroneous judgment. If I, if I could say, well, man, I was having all of these seizures and I was having this seizure and this seizure and this seizure and this seizure and that was creating all kinds of neurological issues and man, that was a really bad time and I did sa- said thing. I mean, can I be held morally responsible? I mean, I, I, that, that's not even a, a, a hypothetical. That's, that's real medical situation, really diagnosed. So diagnosed that the military had to accept responsibility for what happened to me. 
So, so am I held responsible? Can I, can I use that as an excuse? Nobody would allow me to use it for an excuse. They'd be like, who cares if you had seizures? You're still responsible. You're guilty. You should be condemned. There'd be no, no, no excuse given, no quarter given. But, but in the whole concept of conscience, well, if, if, could I, could I, could I make an excuse there? Well, yeah, again, Christians will allow, Christians well, I don't even I don't even know what Christians do half the time with the subject of conscience. On one side, you have to follow it. On the next side, if it leads you the wrong direction, it's no excuse. But you have to follow it, but not always. Paragraph seventeen ninety four. A good and pure conscience is enlightened by true faith, for charity proceeds uh, proceeds at the same time from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere. And then the last paragraph, the more a correct conscience prevails, the more do persons and groups turn aside from blind choice and try to be guided by objective standards of moral conduct. So, so when a correct conscience prevails, then that happens. But in the meantime, a wrong conscience could be present. Now they go in brief and then they, they summarize everything in a number of paragraphs. I'm not going to read that. You can look that up in the Catholic Catechism. But when you look at the Catholic Catechism, it's all over the place. So here is my theology of conscience. Here's my theology of conscience. And you may disagree, but you, you work out all of the, put it this way, instead of arguing with me, work out the, your own internal uh, inconsistencies with your view of conscience. Because everybody wants to argue with me, but nope, they don't want to work out their own. Because when I start asking questions about their view on conscience, it's this really inconsistent mess. Here's what I believe. I believe I, we do have a conscience, and I believe that conscience is made up of the fact that we're created in the image of God. Therefore, a sense of morality resides within us, and God has placed his law on our hearts. So we have a sense of wrong and right. It's built into us. That should make us ask, what is the source of this sense of wrong and right? What is the source of this feeling of wrong and right that sometimes I feel guilty and I feel condemned? And sometimes, like, wh- where is this coming from? Well, it comes from God. Okay, well, now once I realize it comes from God and I begin to accept and acknowledge that there is a creator and he is the source of this feeling, well, then I start listening to what God has to say about me. And God tells me that I'm a depraved person who has a, uh, that uh, I, I am depraved and dead in my trespasses and sins, that I'm a sinner. Okay, then even if conversion occurs, that corruption remains. So that even as a, even as a Christian, even as someone who believes in God, that, that internal corruption remains, that my heart is wicked, uh, deceitful, that I am a sinner, that I have the flesh, and that all of those things makes it impossible to trust anything that arises from within me. I can't trust what arises from within me because what's in me is tainted and corrupted by sin. Looking to God in his word, I'm going to learn that. So here's what I know. Conscience may give some kind of push, may give some kind of condemnation, some kind of guilt. It may be doing all of that inside of me, but I don't look to it and I don't trust it and I don't listen to it. I listen to follow scripture. Scripture as properly understood, not based on the influence of what's coming from within me, but trying to understand it through proper hermeneutical methods then I judge those feelings inside of me according to God's word. And if God's word says that that feeling is right or that feeling is wrong or that feeling is telling me to do something, I I judge it according to God's word. God's word is the thing that determines what I do and what I don't do, not an internal feeling. 
which I think is will mislead you and cause you nothing but problems. And you'll hear Christians justify their action based off their conscience. Well, I don't feel guilty about that. I haven't been condemned by that. I don't feel guilty about that. Well, congratulations. Let's take that to its logical conclusion. Anytime I don't feel guilty about something, you can't condemn me. But you will condemn me. <laughs> you, you, you will condemn me if I go against God. It's really weird. Like sometimes conscience can determine what you do. And in other times, conscience can't determine what you do based on what other people tell you. And it's like, that. it's so subjective. It's so subjective. Now, that will bring us back to chapter six and our next episode, the next time we're back here studying the imitation of Christ. And we'll finish chapter six of the imitation of Christ, chapter or book two, chapter six, a different chapter six, not, not, not the chapter six of book one, but chapter six of book two. We'll finish this and uh, we'll see if he has anything else to say about conscience. I know I took a massive detour there, but anytime I, I come across conscience, I usually go down this path and challenge it because I just, I hear Christians constantly use this as an excuse and it just makes no sense to me. It's like, you know, well, my conscience tells me that I shouldn't do that. Well, and you trust your conscience? Doing it, is it go against scripture? What would scriptures tell you to do? And scripture is hard enough to figure out, right? Trying to interpret scripture, trying to know how to apply. That's, that's, that's complicated enough. Obviously, 2,000 years of church history demonstrates that. Add in trying to figure out what you're feeling, what your inner something is telling you what to do. Man, that, that just leads to mad, mad, crazy being subjective. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, Will, for the thumbs up. I, I hope this makes sense. I know it's, I know it goes against everything. And, and um, oh, I forgot. We'll have to probably... We'll probably look up a couple of scriptures. There are some scriptures that would seem to really tell you to follow your conscience. I understand that. I'm just saying that any meaningful under, application of some of those things are just going to lead you to in, in, insanity and, and subjectivity that you'll never know what's right and never know what's wrong. So, and I will argue that, in, 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 just let's remember, before people had God's word, before people had the word of God, all right, you, you got to always remember that in some situations in the Bible, they don't have a completed Bible yet. They don't have a completed Bible. All right, but we do. So I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself back in a position. I'm not going to put myself and try to live like people did before they had a Bible. I have a Bible. I ha and we believe this is the infallible inspired word of God that is perfect, preserved, and it, and it is the authority. So I'm not going to put myself back trying to figure out, well, what did they have to do before they had a Bible? I, I don't have to figure, whatever they did, wonderful. I don't have to go back to that. And trying to figure out what your in, inner conscience is trying to say seems to be a, a, an exercise in futility. So there we have. We, we've at least finished that. I, I could have done the, I could have read... The, 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 I love the way the catechism at the end of a chapter, they give you like, they, they give you these like specific paragraphs that tries to summarize everything. It is a good, it's a good tool for teaching the catechism, but I, I didn't feel like going through that because it can literally take another episode to work through their summary. Uh, but you can look that up if you need to. All right, I'll stop right there. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com.
God bless.